All right, good morning to all of you. Greetings in the name of Jesus this morning. It's good to be together to worship the Lord, and it has been a blessing to be here at Myerstown this morning already. Um, we sang a song earlier, which uh, over and over we said, Our God reigns. And I don't know what you think when you sing a song like that. But as you look around, it might look otherwise at times. The world looks pretty bad. Obviously, there is a considerable amount of suffering, even here within this church. And people you know, people you love. And it might look like at times that God doesn't reign. But God does reign. And ultimately, where he reigns, he reigns in the world, but he reigns most of all in you as his child. And so I want to encourage you that you would allow God to reign in your heart. If God is reigning in your heart, then you will have peace. If God is not reigning in your heart, you'll face much turmoil and stress and confusion in your life. If God reigns, you'll have peace. If you are surrendered to God, you'll have peace. If you trust God, you'll have peace. But if you're always fighting, there's no peace in that. So allow God to reign in your heart, and you'll have his peace, even in the midst of difficult and trying circumstances. I invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at a chapter in the Bible this morning. There's three points to this message. Two of them are kind of boring. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, but they're kind of boring. And the third one is a little more exciting. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. We as the people of God, we have hope. I don't know if you came here this morning feeling a little hopeless or not. It might look like things are hopeless, but we have hope. And now let me tell you where the hope is found, okay? You want to know where it's found? Maybe I should have a survey question here this morning. How many of you think there is hope in this world? Is there hope here? No. I was just telling my family on the way here today, you know what, I don't, really, I don't really expect this world to give me anything. Do you really expect anything out of this world? Is it really meeting any real needs in your life? I sort of got the point in my life that I don't really expect the world to give me anything. I don't really expect much pleasure here. I don't expect joy to come from this world. But it's, it's all found in God. It's found in a relationship with God and if we can somehow progress and mature in our relationship with God to the point that we will find that actually our relationship with God is what we really need, meets the needs of our heart. And so we're not looking out there for amusement, and we're not looking for entertainment, we're not looking for material things, but we look heavenward and say, you know what, everything I really need is there. And my heart can be satisfied with that. 
And so I hope that is the pursuit of your life, and I hope that is the experience of your life that you found your, your heart's needs are met in God. Because that's the way God created us. He intended us to have our heart's needs met in Him. Well, the title of the message this morning is Now We Live. Now We Live, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, let's look at a few verses here to start. Let's start reading. Um, The first point of the message is boring, okay? It's Timothy goes. All right, that sounds like can't be too inspiring. But when Timothy goes, there are some important things that happen here, okay? And uh, so please follow along in your Bible as I read. It says here, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus our brother and minister of God and our fellow helper in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. And so here we have Timothy being the messenger. And if we were to put it in modern terminology, Timothy was the text message. Or maybe he was the email. Or maybe he was the Facebook post or whatever. He was the means of communication. And I want you to imagine a world. It's hard to imagine this world because we are very far removed from the world that this man was living in. But imagine if you wanted to find out how somebody is doing in another location and you had to send a person to find out. That would be, that's absurd to us. We just uh, get on our phone and we type in a few, you know, some people are like this. They even, bang, they got it done. Some of us are like, bing, bing, bing. And, you know, it takes a little while. But that's how, we, that's how we communicate. We would just have to say, how you doing? And we get a message back in a few moments, doing great. Uh, we don't communicate in very, uh, you know, uh, English is really taking a, hitting, <laughs> a hit these days. We're, we don't use it very well. But uh, how you doing? GRT, you know, that's how I can probably come back. But he had to send a person to find out how the people were doing. And when he got there, he would find out. He was probably there several days. And then he had to come all the way back. And the Apostle Paul could say, Timothy, Timothy, how are they doing? And he would be able to say, this is how they're doing. All right. Talk about communication. Wow. That's difficult. That's time consuming. That's hard. We communicate so easily these days. We take that for granted, I am sure. And think about printing. What if Gutenberg would have been sitting in my study this morning when I wiggled my finger on my computer pad and pushed the right button and zoop, 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 comes out my sermon. Talk about ease of communication. Wow. I even have a device in my house whereby I can print instantly. And you don't know who Gutenberg was. I'm sorry. He's the guy that invented the movable type of printing. 
you had to set everything up. You had to, you know, they, you know, they had these big screw to screw things down to make one page. Hours of work, much difficulty. But here we can do it at a push of a button. We have it really, really good. All right, so the apostle says, I could no longer forbear. I could no longer forbear. Uh, it's also mentioned in verse 5. Twice this is mentioned. What does this say to the church? What does it say to the church that Paul could not forbear? He had to know how they were. It means that Paul's heart was in the project. Okay, now, uh, Brother Jim and his wife, their daughter, is going through this procedure. Brother Michael as well. Uh, you want to know how they're doing, right? You want to know how they're doing. You want to know how the progress is going in regards to the treatment of these difficult health problems. We care. Is that right? We care. We care about people. And because we care, we want to know. And so here the apostle, he cares. And because he cares, he wants to know. It's because he had invested in these people. He had invested in their salvation and in their Christian maturity. He needed to know how they were doing. I want to ask you this morning, please listen, brothers and sisters, what do you care deeply about? Okay, what do you care deeply about? Some people cannot wait to find out if the Phillies won. I want to tell you this morning, I can say this because I'm not from Myerstown, but I tell you what, that matters virtually nothing. That is not something to care deeply about. Some of you, maybe you have stocks. Maybe you have bought stocks and you want to know how your money is doing. And so you get up in the morning and you want to know, how's my money doing? And so you look into your portfolio or whatever and see what the numbers are, see if you made any money or lost any money. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of interest there. But what do you care deeply about? I want to tell us this morning that we need to care deeply about the people of God. We need to care deeply about the kingdom of God. That is what we should be caring deeply about. And I ask you, what investment do you make in the people of God and in the kingdom of God, knowing what's going on, caring about what's going on, and then praying about what's going on, those are things we should care deeply about. I want to tell you this world is passing away. And everything that is in it is passing away. This is not the place to be putting your affections. Don't put your affections on this world. But put your affection on things above. We are clearly commanded in the word of God. And so what do you care deeply about this morning? What do you have to know about? And this will reveal where you have invested your life. That will show what you've given your heart and mind to. Whatever you want to know about. Whatever you have to know about. What is it? This morning, if it is not the right thing, if it is not the things I mentioned, the people of God, the word of God, God's kingdom, God's people all over the world, maybe we need to refocus our life on the right things. Notice what it says about Timothy. Timothy was three things. It says here he was a minister of God. And a minister is what? 
He's a guy that's in charge. Is that right? A minister is a servant. I want to tell you something about your leaders here. Okay? Sometimes people in churches have wrong concepts of leadership. They think these guys, they rule with a, a scepter. Okay? We, are, we are the people in charge here. You, know, you, you need to listen. Well, you, you do. I mean, the, the Bible says so. Uh, you need to esteem them highly in love. You need to submit yourselves to your, to your leaders. But I tell you what, being a leader within the church of Jesus Christ is a, is a position of service. Your leaders are here to serve you. They serve. They serve. And there's many things, brothers and sisters, you do not know. So many things you do not know that happen behind the scenes. Decisions are made with much consideration, much prayer. Uh, things, things sometimes are within a ministry. Things are difficult. They don't know what to do. They pray. They say, God, please give us wisdom. We don't know how to handle this situation. Please guide us. And then they make a decision. The best decision they possibly could make. They try to be wise. They try to be intelligent. They try to use common sense. They try to apply God's truth to it. And guess what? Sometimes people don't like the decisions they make. You know, there's an old saying that goes, you can't please all the people all the time. So I tell you what, please, I, I can tell you for sure, your leaders are godly men. Please put your confidence in them. Please trust them. Please listen to them. Please allow them to make hard decisions and then support them in it. Don't criticize them. If you'd be where they are, I don't want to say you'd do a worse job than they would, but you very well might. So support your leaders. Timothy, he's a minister. He's one who serves. And also it says he's a fellow laborer. You know, one of the beautiful things about our churches, I want to tell you something beautiful about our churches. You know what? Your leaders are on the level, okay? They're on the level. They're fellow laborers. They're not somebody who's sitting on a throne ruling. They are one of you. And they're approachable. You can talk to them. In fact, many of you will talk to your leaders after church today. There are settings where that is not the thing to do. Because they're up here, and we're way down there. And so that's not the case. Fellow laborers, we work together in the kingdom of God. Yes, we have different responsibilities, different positions, but we work together in God's kingdom. And then it says that he was sent to establish and to comfort. You know, in the church, there needs to be stability. Okay? Needs to be stability. And Timothy was sent to establish. In other words, to give them a solid foundation and something to build upon. He was sent to establish and then to comfort the people of God. And many times the people of God need comfort. Because uh, the things you believe, are they popular in the world today? It's the world saying, you guys, you, oh, we just love what you people believe. No, the world is not like that. The world is saying, you people really believe that? You're crazy. You believe this book? This thing was written a couple thousand years ago? You believe this archaic, antique book here? And they say, you people are crazy. That is not modern. That is not where this society's at. What are you doing? And so you need comfort. You know, it's very comforting to come to church. I, I was telling my family on the way to church this morning, I just, when I was a boy, I did not like church. 
I had to sit still. Thank God I'm a preacher. I don't have to sit still in church. And I get to drink water. And I get to move around. And I get to talk. I mean, I got it made. But when I was a boy, I didn't like church because I had to sit still. I couldn't ride my bike. I couldn't run through the fields and the forest. I couldn't build a dam in the creek while I was at church. All kinds of things I couldn't do at church. Now I think I love church more than anything else in life. I just love to go to church. I like to be with God's people. I love to sing the songs. I love to hear the word of God being preached. It's all a very positive experience. I hope you feel that way too. But we need comfort. The reason we need comfort is because the world is against us. We don't fit in. It's really nice to spend a couple hours on a Sunday morning with people that are like we are. Does that comfort you? Do you agree with that? We need comfort. We really do. We need to be built up. We need to be edified. We need to be encouraged. And that's what we're here to do with and for one another. Well, it talks about afflictions. Afflictions. You know, everyone will see afflictions in life. Uh, we're, we had Brother Ray up here talking about afflictions. Everybody faces afflictions. Everybody. And if your life has been smooth and easy, I'm sorry, I, don't wanna, I, I hardly want to say what I'm about to say. But if your life has been smooth and easy to this point, get ready because afflictions will come. You will face afflictions. And if you aren't facing afflictions yourself right now, which probably all of you are facing some kind of affliction, you know somebody who is. You can see somebody who's afflicted right now. And you know what? That can have a bad effect on people's faith. Okay? Did you hear what I said and do you understand what I said? Your own afflictions and the afflictions of other people can have a bad effect on your faith. Because we look at afflictions and we, thinking individuals we are, we say, why? We say, why? Why does that person have to face that? Why do I have to face this? Why is that person suffering like they are? And we can somehow take their suffering and then we look to God and say, God, why are they suffering? And it can have a bad effect on people's faith. There are people who doubt God and disbelieve God because of affliction. But in affliction, don't give up. Don't give up. Let me, let me ask you what you have. What do you have if you push God aside and say, I'm not going to trust him. What do you have left? What do you have? Tell me. <laughs> you, need to, you need to have faith, but if you push God aside, what do you have left? You have nothing. Okay. You're left with nothing. And there's so many people, when they're afflicted, they say, God, you can't be good, so I'm going to push you aside. Because I can't trust you. Or they see someone else suffering and they say, God, this isn't right. This isn't fair. You can't allow this. Push him aside. And then what do you have? Nothing. You're left with nothing. You don't have anybody to help you. You don't have any hope for eternity or the future because you push the only one aside who's going to help you. 
You push the only one aside that is going to give you any eternal hope. So when afflictions come, listen. When afflictions come, trust God. That's the only option. Anything else leaves you empty and hopeless. Trust God in affliction. We had a speaker. He wasn't much of a preacher. He was a teacher. Frank Reed. You know who Frank Reed is. Came to our church last fall. And he shared from us, uh, shared with us, yes, from Psalm 4. Psalm 4 talks about being in distress. And everybody goes through times of distress. But in the midst of distress, what do we do? The, the, the writer of that psalm said, I will lay upon my bed. He says, um, what exactly does he say? Stand in awe. <laughs> okay. He says, stand in awe and sin not. When in distress, stand in awe of God. When you are in distress, you stand before God like this. And say, God, I stand in awe. We can think about Job. Job lost it all. And even in the midst of losing everything, Job said, the Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you know what? What else can we do? What else can we do when we are in distress except look heavenward and say, God, we worship you, bless you, and praise you in the midst of our affliction. And you know what? As we worship God through our affliction, we will eventually move on to worship God in eternity. So our life is about worshiping God, whatever our situation or condition of life may be. Don't let afflictions turn you away from God. Trust him. Humble your heart before him. That is the right response to affliction. And then he talks about labor. He talks about labor being in vain. Um, let's see where it is up here. Um, yes, verse 5. The end of verse 5, he says, I sent Timothy because I want to know of your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now let me ask you this morning, in the Lord, is your labor in vain? What do you think? Can your labor be in vain? Don't say yes. Okay, don't say that. Because <laughs> your labor is not in vain. In the Lord. In fact, we are told very directly that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, why is it not in vain? Because y'all know God watches. Y'all know that. Y'all know that God sees so that whatever your labor is in the kingdom of God, maybe nobody knows about it. Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody knows the money that you're giving. Nobody knows that you go there and you minister to those people. Nobody knows that you go to that person's house for dinner. Nobody knows that. But God knows it. God knows. He knows every good thing you do. He also knows the bad things you do. But he knows every good thing you do. And so your labor is not in vain in the Lord because God knows all about it. Now the, the way it could be in vain is if you invested and you sacrificed and you served 
and the results were poor. I don't know if that ever happened to you or not. But you labored in behalf of something. Now, I'm a, I'm a produce farmer. We have experienced many times putting a lot of labor into something, and then it fails. Okay? Maybe I need to get a big chicken house, because that never fails. <laughs> no. But, you know, you put a lot of effort and time and energy into something, and then it turns out there is nothing. It's a failure. And, you know, there is a sense in which when we invest in God's kingdom... We want to see something good as a result. Some of you here teach in a Christian school. And I did that for many years. I think the total number of years I taught in a Christian school is like 28 years. Okay, I saw children going to kindergarten at Fairview Christian School. And they went all the way through the whole school from kindergarten to 12th grade and graduated... And they went off and lived in sin. There's even some that I had to go to their funerals already. Tragic, tragic situations. It looks like, it really looked like the labor was all in vain. People invested in those young people. They taught them. They prayed for them. They trained them. They taught them. And yet they went off and they just served the devil and the world. Looks like labor is in vain. That is not encouraging to the children of God. That is not encouraging to those who are serving. That is not encouraging to the preacher. That is not encouraging to the teacher. That's not encouraging to the missionary. It's kind of discouraging when you invest and invest and invest and you see no result. And so the apostle was very concerned. I've invested in you people. I, I traveled all around preaching the gospel, trying to bring you to maturity in Christ. And I want to know if you're successful or not. I want to know if you're prospering or not. He didn't want his labor to be in vain. Well, let's move on here. We'll get into more of that in a few moments. But Timothy returns. Point number two. Okay? You're writing down all these inspirational points. Timothy goes. Timothy returns. Let's look at verses 6 to 8. But now, when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings. Listen. He brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by your faith. For... Now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Good tidings. Good tidings came from Timothy. I'm sure the apostle was probably just, I can't wait till Timothy gets back. I just can't wait till he gets back because I want to know how these people are doing. Good tidings. Timothy brought good tidings. There are investors in your life. Right now I want you to think, okay, you all think right now of people who have invested in your life. Okay, think of them. Are you thinking of them? People who have taught you. People who have trained you. People who have mentored you. Maybe people who have preached sermons to you. Whatever. But you're thinking right now of people who have invested in your life. And what they have actually done is they have spent their lives on you. Okay? 
it's almost like, every, you know, you all have a certain amount of money, okay? You can spend your money on whatever. People spend their lives on other people. They've invested in your life. There are parents who have invested in their children. There are teachers, pastors. Maybe you have friends who have invested in you. Many have invested in your life. And the question is this. You ready for the question? What is the return? What is the return? Is it all for naught? Do they look at the investment they've made in your life and say, you know what? Doesn't look very good. Doesn't look like it was worthwhile. Now, we're not all about results necessarily. We want to plant the seed and we want to be faithful. But we want to also give a good return on the labor. Maybe those who have invested in your life are discouraged and disappointed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you need to turn some things around. Maybe you need to show some good fruit for the investment of others in your life. I want us to notice the sheer joy of this man over the faithfulness of his spiritual children. He was just rejoicing greatly over their faithfulness. And I want to tell you this morning that those who have invested in your life will rejoice greatly when they see you walking faithfully with the Lord. They will rejoice greatly over that. I want us to notice the features of their faithfulness. Um, the features of their faithfulness were, first of all, faith. They had faith. They believed God. They followed God. They trusted God. And a big part of faith in God is obeying God. And these are evidences of faith. That was one of the features of their faithfulness. Another one was charity or love. And we know what the Bible says about love, right? You know what it says? That's how everybody's going to know you're a follower of Jesus. Everybody's going to know you're a follower of Jesus if you have love one for another. And I trust here at Meyerstown. Anybody who would walk in these doors would say, this is a place that is saturated with love. These people love each other. Not only do they love each other, they love everyone who they meet. These are people of love. And we're going to talk about that a little more later on. And so they had faith. They had love. And then it also says that they remembered their beloved Apostle Paul. They, they, they remembered him. They loved this suffering missionary evangelist, and they also had a desire to see him as well. That is, a, that is a feature of God's people. They love to see each other. They love to see each other. When I came into this church this morning, there was a lot of people here I just love to see. And I hope you love to see me as well. I hope, anyway. So, but they love to see each other, and that is evidence of love within the brotherhood. And then he uses the word comforted. He was comforted by this good news. It was all worth it. Yes, he said, all the labor, all the danger, all the suffering, all the sacrifice, all the pain. And the Apostle Paul had a lot of that. Paul says, in essence, he says, the time was well spent. The trouble was well worth it. The investment paid off. 
and he could say, I feel good about that, okay? You've probably looked at some projects already that you did and you didn't feel good about it. Maybe the doorway was crooked. By the way, you have a very nice remodeling job here. Very nice. If, uh, if I don't know if brother, is the brother here that was in charge of this project? I was gonna tell him it looks really nice. It's looking really nice in here. Because <laughs> he did some work for me and he said, he told me, Brother Laverne said, we can make it really nice. And he did, he made it really nice. <laughs> okay, so anyway. I learned a few things from him as I related to Brother Laverne, but anyway, very nice job, beautiful. And uh, so I commend you for that. But uh, the, the, I feel really good about this. The apostle could look at the church at Thess uh, the, 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 try to say that again, the, the church of the Thessalonians and say, I feel really good about that. It was a good project and it worked out really well. And is that what people who have invested in your life are saying, you know what, that worked out so well. That is beautiful. If not, please make it so. And then he says, now we live. Now we live. He says, this, this, is, this makes my life complete and meaningful and worthwhile. Now we live if you walk faithfully with God. This gives inspiration. It gives motivation, invigoration, and determination to the servants of God when others are thriving, when they're growing, when they're walking in faith, in love, and in truth. Well, the third point this morning is a little more inspiring. Not very complicated, though. We rejoice. We rejoice. Okay, Timothy goes, Timothy returns, and now we rejoice. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God, before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. We can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough. Did anybody ever say that to you? Maybe somebody rescued you from some disaster that was happening in your life. You had a flat tire, your vehicle broke down. They put you up for the night, whatever, I don't, you know, who, who knows what might have happened. But you say, you know what, we just can't thank you enough for your kindness and your, your generosity and your help or whatever. Um, but that is how it is for us and God. Between you and God, you should be able to say to God, God, I can't thank you enough for what you've done in my life. I just can't thank you enough. I, I try to imagine where I would be if it weren't for God's mercy and grace. I want you to think about this morning where you would be if it weren't for God's mercy and grace in your life. Your life would be a wreck and you would be a disaster and you would be out there in the world as a lost person, not knowing the way, not knowing where you're going, not knowing why you're here in this world. It's hard to imagine living like that, to be honest with you, because I live with purpose. And I live with a destination. And I live with truth. I live with a solid foundation. I have great confidence in life. I really do. I have confidence in God. But we can't thank God enough. That's what he's saying. We, what thanks can we render to God again for you? We can't even thank God enough for, for your faith and for the good report we heard. 
it seems that Paul was overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving. And I want to tell you where that kind of joy and thanksgiving comes from. You know where it comes from? It comes out of what kind of a heart? It's a, a humble heart. That kind of thanksgiving comes out of a humble heart. Any and all good. If there's anything good in your life today, which I am, uh, I am positive there's something good in your life today, it's because God is kind. It's because God is generous. And God has given. And so, have a humble heart. And a humble heart is able to be truly grateful. We deserve none of it. And God doesn't owe us a thing. Our life is always better than we deserve. Because God has been very kind and very good. Let's look at verses 11 to 13. It says, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound. Please notice, make you to abound, increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable. In holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Please notice in verse 12, I already emphasized it to you, but what is important? What is important? Love. Love is important. He says increase in love. Abound in love. Love is for your family. Love is for your family. Love is for your wife, brothers. Love is for your husband, sisters. Love is for your children, parents. Children, listen to me. Love is for your parents. Love your parents. Love is for the brotherhood. Love is for your neighborhood. Love is for the whole world. The Christian is a source of love. And the world is starving for love. And who's going to love if you don't love? What do you think? Is anybody out there going to love if you don't? Is there going to be any real love in this world? It's not going to happen. This world is so bent on selfishness and getting what I want and using other people for myself. There's no love out there. God's people are the only source of true love in this world. So go out and love. Love is what matters. Love is what's important. We all personally need to love and to be loved. So... Everybody needs more love, and so please love. Talks about establishing your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. You know, that, that's God's intention for us, that we would be holy people. If we were to take a survey here today and say, how many of you would say, I am a holy person? I don't know. I don't know what kind of response we would get. We'd all... You know, give kind of a slippery answer. Yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to work on it. I'm probably a little better than I used to be, you know. Let me tell you, God is, God's intention for his people 
is that they're holy. And what is holy? Holy is like God Himself. That's holy. And so you are intended by your God to be like Him. And the more you are like God, the more you are what He intends you to be. And I'll tell you something else. This is a, there's no secrets, okay? I'm not going to tell you a secret. But the more you become like God, the happier you'll be. You believe that? The more like God you are, the happier you will be. Because God's putting you back in the original condition. God's putting you back into the condition which he created man. God created man perfect and holy. He fell into sin. And let me tell you what sin did. It completely made him miserable. And so the more like God we become, the happier we'll be. And so if you came here today with areas of obvious unholiness, I can tell you for sure that it's making you miserable. If you're carrying sin in your life this morning, I can guarantee you it is making you miserable. Because that's what sin does. But if you came in here today with all your sins taken away, like our brother was sharing with the children, you fessed up, you found God's forgiveness, you're walking in victory, in faith, you carried a, a holy heart in here today, you're a happy person. I can guarantee you. Because holiness produces happiness and joy in the hearts of God's people. God is painting his likeness upon you so that the world can see what he is like. So you're a picture of God and the world sees God in you as you become a holy person. And so, three points this morning. Timothy goes to find out how they're doing. Timothy returns with a great report. And that brings great joy. Great joy. So I trust this morning that there was something in this sermon that applies to you. Because I know there are lots of things in this sermon that apply to me. And so please, brothers and sisters, when you walk out the door, it's easy to leave church at church. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to just completely take that whole thing and put it in a box and put it aside. But when you leave here today, take church with you. Think about what the Lord spoke to you and do something about it. Do something about it. Let's all stand together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we stand together in your presence this morning. And God, you, you reign as we sang earlier. We believe that you reign and we want you to reign. In fact, we pray, Father, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in earth, that is in us, and on earth, and that is the world around us. We desire God that you would be king of our lives and of this world. Father, you heard the message this morning that was spoken, and you know what every person in this room heard. Father, I am confident 
that your word has been very relevant to us today. I am confident, Lord, that by your spirit, you even took some of the words that were spoken here today and you reminded some, somebody here of some things they need to do or change in their life. Father, we pray that you will give them the discipline and the determination and the commitment to do what you have spoken to them to do. So we thank you, Lord, for giving us the word of God. We thank you for the apostle, the apostle Paul. We thank you that he wrote these words to the Thessalonians many, many years ago. We thank you that we can open these words even in 2019, and we can look at them and be amazed at how they apply to us even this very moment. So we praise you, Father, for the relevance of your word, and I pray that we would be able to apply it in a practical, sensible way to our lives even today. So we thank you today for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to give his life for us. We thank you that through a relationship with Jesus, our lives are transformed, that we are changed, and that we are put in the right condition so that we can walk through life in holiness and experience your joy and your peace and your love in our hearts. Bless this church here at Myerstown. I pray that they might continue to grow to greater maturity in Jesus Christ and that they might continue to grow in usefulness for your kingdom and your honor and your glory. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would be faithful to you, that we would be among those who bring great joy to those who have invested in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is coming. And we thank you that there is eternity ahead and I pray that each of us would be faithful to you until that comes. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.